Acts 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. Got to be honest, I love that voice. Those of you who don't know, that's my smoking hot wife, Heidi, who's reading for us right now. So uh, uh, she's not here today, so I can get away with that. Uh, she'll watch it later on the live stream, and, and she'll get after me then. Um, good to have you with us this morning. How are we doing today? All right, it's good to see you. We're, we're excited. Spring break week, so uh, for a lot of you, uh, a lot of empty seats. Our people are traveling, so hopefully you're watching online. For those of you who are here, we're so glad you're hanging out with us. And if today's your first day, or if you're kind of new to Genesis, we're really glad you're here. And uh, my name's Mike. I'm one of the elders, and I have the privilege each week to stand up here and uh, preach and teach. And so uh, I'm excited to do that this morning over a passage that is one of the, the pivotal moments in all of Scripture. So I'm excited about this morning, praying that the Holy Spirit, who shows up in the text, shows up in our room today, and that we're transformed by the beauty of the gospel and the story here. Uh, there are, every culture has celebrations where people will make some sort of pilgrimage, some sort of movement, and you'll end up with big crowds where people party. Uh, just this week in Dogtown, uh, here in St. Louis area, we had the St. Patrick's Day parade, and it missed a couple years, but people from all over the area show up in Dogtown, and you know, you're wearing green and enjoying the whole celebration of that, which is Irish. I do find it rather interesting that uh, we drink beer, green beer, on the day to celebrate St. Patrick, and nobody really knows who St. Patrick is. Uh, guess what? We as followers of Jesus, we get to claim St. Patrick, because after Paul the Apostle, who will meet in Acts, St. Patrick may be one of the most important missionaries of the gospel of Jesus Christ who ever lived. But, but uh, regardless, people show up at Dogtown, form a party, the streets fill, all that sort of stuff. Um, I remember when in 2011 when the Cardinals won the World Series, or uh, a few years later when the Blues won the Stanley Cup and they had their parade. Anybody go to either one of those parades? I the only one, really? Boy, both of them, we took it. My son, Josiah's got his hand out here. My son, Josiah, we, we went down, and it, the, the streets were packed. 
Hundreds of thousands of people flooding downtown to celebrate the victory, uh, to, to enjoy this, to, to um, just enjoy the moment when our team had won the World Series. This happens every year on New Year's Eve in New York, in Times Square. And, and we watch on TV. For some of you, it may be like, man, just once in my life, I would love to make the trip to New York City and you know, be there because you know, if I can make it there, I can make it anywhere, right? And some of you are like, never, I'm not going anywhere near there, that's insane, I have no interest. But this pilgrimage, people from all over the world, all over America, travel to New York to be in Times Square on New Year's Eve. Now the reason I'm bringing that up is because in the Hebrew calendar, Old Testament calendar, the story of the Bible, God gave his people three celebrations. Uh, and we're going to talk about those this morning because there is meaning for our text. One of those was this day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost, we, the, the text that we just read, uh, if you have your Bible, make sure you have it open so that you can follow along as we're, we're reading this morning in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 just says, when, when Pentecost had, had fully come, or when Pentecost had arrived, the day of Pentecost. And, and last week we jumped into this text, so we're actually covering the first four verses again, but going beyond that. Uh, last week, we jumped into this text, and we said, here's what's going on. There's these 120 people who had been with Jesus, who had followed Jesus. Uh, they saw him. They, they were part of the resurrection stories. They had seen him risen. They were with him on the last day he was here on earth, right before his ascension. And he had told them to go wait in Jerusalem for this promise, the promise of the baptism, being baptized with the Holy Spirit. They return to Jerusalem right after Jesus ascends and takes his throne in heaven as the King of kings and Lord of lords. They return to Jerusalem where they are doing just that. They are waiting and trusting in the Lord, waiting for this promise. And then the day of Pentecost comes. And on this day, what happens is that the room they are in, where they are at, this, this gathering of about 120 people, is filled with wind. There's the sound of a mighty wind. There are tongues of fire. It's kind of like a fireball that comes and separates where it lands on each of them. Not just a select few in the room, but every single one of them. And they are all filled with the Holy Spirit. And so last week we talked about who the Holy Spirit is. And I'm not going to preach that sermon again, but just a real quick reminder that this is God who was there present at the, in the second verse of the Bible at creation. He is God who is present with the redemption story of God's people in the Old Testament. He is the manifest presence of God with his people that showed up as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It is the presence of God that fills the temple with the glory of God in the Old Testament. And as we read through the Bible, we realize that the Bible teaches us about one eternal creator God who eternally exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And that the Spirit of God is, is, the, is the, his, the presence of the Almighty around with and now in us. And that he is a he, he is personal. We pray to the Spirit. We, we hope for the Spirit. We need the presence of the Spirit. And what happens here is the Spirit of God, who always existed, came to the church in a different way on Pentecost. Wind representing the power of God, filling them. Fire representing the, the burning of the power of God that refines and burns out what's burnable, but makes what is in them that is beautiful, more beautiful, like gold. And, and now they are speaking in tongues, and the weirdness has begun, right? 
But, but we talked last week about the power of the Spirit, the person of the Spirit, who He is. We're going to focus this week on what happens in the lives of people when they are filled with the Spirit. And so they were baptized and filled with the Spirit, but now we're going to talk about this. And what we really want to see this morning, last week was who was the Spirit. This week we're saying what happens when He shows up, when He fills our lives. And, and we're going to see uh, in this beautiful story the importance of having Spirit-filled lives and hope that we will understand exactly what that means. Because what, what happens in Pentecost was, on one level, a one-time event. And on another level, it is repeatable for us at all times. And, and so we focused in last week on a couple phrases that show up before we get to this text. It, Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, verse 2, he tells them to go wait for the promise. And he says, you will be baptized. I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit like John the Baptist baptized you with water. And so we have this reference to the baptism, being baptized in the Spirit. And then in the text and in other places in Acts and Luke and the Bible, it talks about being filled with the Spirit. And so in the text of chapter 2, we see people who are filled with the Spirit. And so were they baptized with the Spirit? Were they filled with the Spirit? What's going on here? And what we said last week, and I believe that, it, that you know, a whole wrestling with this in the text, that if you want to have a conversation about what I'm talking about here, I can show you this in the text because there's a lot of disagreement about what's going on. Some people believe you, there is one experience where you receive the Spirit. Other people say, no, there are two experiences where you were first saved, and so you get the Spirit, but then there's another second experience where you were baptized. And, and, and what I, I think the text bears out is this, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens when you are, you are converted to Jesus Christ. In other words, if you're here today and you've trusted in Christ, at that moment, the Holy Spirit, you were immersed in the Spirit. The presence of God came to be with you. You could not have believed had the Spirit not made your dead heart alive, had not made your blind eyes see, had not opened your ears to the gospel. If you're here today and you're seeking, we want you to look at Jesus we want you to see the beauty of who he is. We want you to bring the brokenness and even like we sang, the addictions and realize that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will live forever. That, that's the promise. And we want you, as you gaze on Jesus, we believe that, that the person who sees Christ, that what's happening is the Holy Spirit is, is showing up. The presence of God is leading them to see what they couldn't have seen before, and they are coming to faith in Jesus. That's our prayer for you this morning, is that the Spirit would so come into this room and so come into your life that he, he just gives you joy in the presence of the Spirit as you look to Jesus and trust in him. That's our hope. And that when you're saved, you received what is called the baptism of the Spirit. But that there are from there, not just the second experience, there's a second and third and fourth, an ongoing experience. And we are to long for the filling of the Spirit, a continual empowerment, a continual fresh wind and fresh fire that comes in our lives like what happens here. And as you read Acts itself, the same people who are filled with the Spirit here in Acts chapter 2, two chapters later in Acts chapter 4, they're together again and they're filled with the Spirit again. And that we should, as God's people, be longing for and crying out for 
a fresh filling, for the Spirit to come in power, for the Spirit to, to bring even his gifts to us and his presence to us and his empowerment. But this is all connected to what Jesus said in Acts 1.8, where he said, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and Israel, that the power of God to be what God as Christ has called us to be comes with the presence of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit. And we should be longing for that. But, but our experience sometimes does not, like we read these verses, we see these people speaking in tongues and rolling out in the street. We see the power and the presence of God promised. And if you are like me, you're, you're being honest. You're like, my experience sometimes does not connect. It does not live up to the expectations that I think this promises. Do, do you struggle with the spiritual life that is awful, often dry and mechanical? Uh, is your service of Jesus more of a distant connection from an ancient book than it is a living reality that you experience day by day? Do you wonder why the Holy Spirit, his interventions are so rare in your life in the church? Do you wonder, where is this power and why don't I experience it so often? And, and do you wonder if you're missing something wonderful that seems to be planned for our lives, but you wonder where the experience of that, the Holy Spirit as it's promised in Scripture. Today, we hope to wrestle with this text and kind of delve into that because we are Bible people. We are Word of God people. But the Word of God as just a book is not enough we need the presence of the Holy Spirit in each and every one of us and collectively in all of us, filling us. We, we need to beg and cry out and seek this experience, this ongoing experience with the Spirit, fresh and anew each week. We need to be begging God to act and do signs and wonders and the miraculous among us. We need to experience the joy of his presence in deep and meaningful ways. But then we're going to see that it does something to us. And so what we want to do, we want to wrestle with this text and, and kind of wrestle with three things here. And the first thing is we, we're, going to see, we're going to see in this text that the story shows us what we need, how we get it, where it takes us. What we need, how we get it, where it takes us. So, so just a real quick, let me, let me tell you the story that's in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 13 here. They are in the upper room. They're waiting. It tells us Pentecost has shown up. Now, more on that in just a minute, because that's a really meaningful statement right there. And that these events, the wind comes, the fire falls on them, they speak in tongues. But what happens, they don't stay in the upper room. That's important to our story. Uh, and we're not told in the text that they, you know, there's not like verse 4b where it says, and when they were speaking in tongues, they went down the steps, out into the streets where they met all the people. They're kind of, you know, just Star Trek Moved. Now, I'm not saying it happened like that, but they're in the upper room and they have this, this experience where they're speaking in tongues. But next thing you know, they are in the city among the crowd and they are speaking in tongues. It, it, they go from room to crowds. This is a pilgrimage festival. Uh, the, the Pentecost is a pilgrimage festival. And so we see in the text that there are people from all over the world, Jewish people and, and Gentiles. So quick uh, explanation of terms. 
A Jew is somebody who is a descendant of Abraham by blood, by birth, who is part of this Old Testament people of God, who have this whole family lineage and story that's connected to the Old Testament law and Moses and the Exodus and the prophets, all that sort of stuff. And then you have this other group of people that are mentioned, proselytes. These are people that have come to believe in the one true and living God, even though their heritage as Gentiles, non-Jews, their, their heritage was not to grow up learning about the one true and living God, but they have come to place their faith in the God of the Bible and have gone through the Jewish rituals and rites of becoming part of the Jewish people. And so in this case right now, everybody here is connected to the Jewish life and religion, but they've come, you'll notice this, from all over the world. And uh, Josephus and some of the historians in early history tell us that the city of Jerusalem, which was all, already a, a massive city in the Middle East, would grow by two to three times its size as people would make their pilgrimage festival. Uh, they were supposed to come to Jerusalem, hang out there, and so now the city is packed with people who are Jewish in religion, and most of them in heritage, but they are from all over the world, which means they're, they're Hebrew we're actually Aramaic in the New Testament. By the time we get to the New Testament, the average Hebrew spoke a language called Aramaic, which was kind of like Hebrew, but it was mixed with years of other cultures mixed in. But the, the, their Aramaic was probably super rusty because they were from a completely different part of the world. It, it would be like, you know, when, when, when immigrants come here, the first generation, like, so think Italians when they moved here. First generation of Italians spoke Italian. Second generation spoke, spoke Italian and English. Third generation spoke a little bit of Italian, mostly English. By the time you get to the fourth generation, the Italian is mostly lost. Now, these are people who were Jewish in their heritage, but they had moved all over the world, and their language is lost. And here's what goes on. They are in the city, and they hear these Galileans speaking in tongues, but what they hear is the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ in their culture's language. And now it pulls their attention. You'll have to come back next week to find out what happens, but it pulls their attention. Yet the Jewish people who don't understand all these languages hear all this blabbering and silliness coming out of the lives, the mouths of the people who follow Jesus and go, look at these people who are following Jesus. It's early in the morning and they're already drunk and acting a fool in the city. That's what happens in the story but the meaning of it is beautiful. And that's what we want to jump into. And so first of all, what we need. We see in the story exactly what we need. The language is really beautiful here. Uh, in verse one, look at it real quick. When it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived. This is one of the places where a translator, translating from the original language, which is Greek, trying to translate into English just can't find the right words. Because it sounds like, well, the day of Pentecost. This was an annual, ce annual celebration. It had arrived. It was here. It was Pentecost again. It's kind of like going, going, hey, it's my birthday. Had one last year. I'm going to have, hopefully have another one this year. But that day has arrived. It's my birthday. But the original language here, that's not what's being expressed. He uses a word that is a, a, has an emphasizer in front, and then it says it was fulfilled. It doesn't say it arrived. It says it was fulfilled. It was made full. And so what what. Luke, who's the author, literally says in this text, is the day of Pentecost was overflowingly fulfilled. That word is not lacking meaning. There's something about what Pentecost was in the Old Testament, 
what it had become in the moment. And Luke is trying to tell us that all of the sight lines, all of the angles, all of the purposes that are, was the day of Pentecost, on this day, everything that Pentecost was supposed to do was absolutely fulfilled in all of its glory. It would be like saying, yeah, I've had birthdays before, but everything my birthday is about today is it. No other birthday matters because this is all, like my whole birthday is today and that's it. Now it's not my birthday, so don't come wish me happy birthday, but it'd be like that. Like it's fulfilled. And so Luke has meaning. And so to understand this meaning, we got to kind of understand that this was one of three of what are called pilgrimage festivals that are given in the Old Testament. So you go all the way back to the Old Testament books, the beginning of the story, these people that God loved and saved, he rescues them from slavery in Egypt. He makes them his people and he makes them a nation. They have an identity as a nation, but that identity is because of who their God is. He forms a covenant relationship, this this special relationship where he says, I will be your God, you will be my people. And he gives them his laws, his commands, so that they will live lives that show how they are different from the world because of who their God is. And this is kind of what goes on in the Old Testament, but in the midst of this, God gives them three giant parties, and literally what God is doing is God is throwing a party for his people. They're supposed to come. They're all celebrations where God is throwing a party. And three times a year they were commanded. Now, not everybody would make it, especially from all the nations, but some people would. It'd be kind of like you saying, at least once in my life, I'm going to make it to New York City, or at least once in my life, you know, I'm going to make it to this party or, you know, this event, you know. Uh, And so at least once in our lives, we're going to get to Jerusalem for Pentecost, for Passover, for one of these festivals. Some people would come every year. And so you have people from all over the world, Jewish people, in these three festivals. The first one was Passover. And you may be, if you grew up in church, you may be familiar with Passover, but each of these festivals on the calendar every year, based on when the new moons were, like this is kind of how they worked, each calendar or each festival did two things. Okay, track with me here, because this all, you're like, you give me a lot of Bible information, hang with me, because it all has meaning to what's going on in the text. The first thing that happened with every festival is that each festival retold a part of this beautiful Old Testament story of their rescue as a people. They were in slavery, in Egypt, no hope, no remedy, no ability to save themselves. And God acted on their behalf and rescued them, brought them to himself as God and made them his people. And each one of these festivals in the Old Testament retells and celebrates a portion of that story. But each festival is also intentionally by God put in a moment in their agricultural year. So you have planting and tilling and then harvesting. And each of these festivals was placed very intentionally at a place in the agricultural year. And so as they came and they celebrated what God did in their past, they were also in some way, shape, or form placing their faith in God or giving thanks to God for his provision for them in the moment. Okay? So so here's the three festivals. Passover, Old Testament celebration, Passover. For for the the time in the past, 
It was a remembrance of this amazing moment where as slaves, God rescued them. He sent 10 plagues to Egypt. The 10th plague was the promise of the death of the firstborn of the Egyptians. But they were told to take a spotless lamb and sacrifice that lamb. They were to to eat that lamb, roast that lamb and eat it for dinner. They were rid the house of all leaven. There's all kinds of imagery here, and I'm not going to get into all of it, but here's what happens. They put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, which is a beautiful picture of what Jesus did for us. That night, God passed over them while while sending judgment to the Egyptians, and and the end result was they were told to leave. But when they left, they got to the Red Sea, and here comes the Egyptian army to kill them, and God parts the sea. They walk through on dry ground. They get to the other side. God closes the sea on the Egyptians, and they are rescued. They are redeemed. They are saved from their slavery, set free to worship their God. Passover is a pause to remember that story. But it's also in the, the, the calendar, it's at the beginning of the barley harvest, okay? So they have just, they've planted, the, the, the spring crops have risen, the barley is just ready, and so they, they go out and they pick the first of the spring barley and the spring fruits, the things that get ripe in spring, and, and they bring what is called the first fruits, This is an act of trust and faith in God. God says, before you pick any for yourself, I want you to come to Jerusalem. We're gonna have a celebration for a week. It starts with the Passover, and in that week, we're gonna have a celebration, but I need you to bring the first fruits. Before you pick anything for yourself, bring the first fruits as an offering to me. That offering was actually used to to care for the priests who carried out the religious duties, but it was almost like saying, all right, I need, I need stuff for my family. How can I bring the first fruits? And they had to trust the Lord with, with his whole harvest by bringing the first fruits to, to Jerusalem and, and offering that as an offering to their God. And, and so we have the, first, the, the, the Passover and the celebration of the first fruits. Well, the second celebration, which is Pentecost, is in the Old Testament called the Feast of Weeks. And the reason it got that name is because it was a week of weeks from the first day of the Passover. So do the math. It's seven days in a week and seven weeks, a week of weeks. You have the, the first day of the Passover, and then the next day is when that count begins. And so that week of weeks gets us exactly 50 days from the Passover. The term fifth, Pentecost means 50th. It is exactly 50 days. But that, that number is not chosen at random. The, the fest, Feast of Weeks, the Festival of Pentecost, is remember, remembering in the Old Testament story after they were rescued, God brought them to himself at Mount Sinai. And in Exodus 19 and 20, God gives them his covenant. He forms a covenant, a, a relationship. He says, you are my, I'm your God, you are my people. He brings them to know them. And he gives them his law. And, and this festival is remembering 50 days after. By the way, that, that coming together in the Old Testament story is exactly 50 days after they left when the Passover was. And so now 50 days later, they are to remember again that God brought them to himself. He didn't just rescue us. He made us his people. He formed a relationship, but he also gave us his law. He gave us the, the challenge on how to live. Now, the other thing that's going on in the, 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 the calendar year is that now this is the end of the barley harvest. They're done with the harvest. 
And now this is a Thanksgiving festival. They can come and say, man, we brought our first fruits trusting in the Lord, but now it's 50 days later. We have harvested our fields. We have harvested our trees. We have brought in all the fruit and the grain, and God has taken care of us. What a great God who gives us the harvest. And it was very much like our Thanksgiving in, in November where they are now coming giving thanks. And so they have a second festival, a week-long party that God is going to throw where they are remembering God's bringing, making them a people and he is giving them the law. Now the third one, and I'm not going to get too lost in this one, I just want you to know all three of them, is called the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. And this in their calendar year was remembering the 40 years in the Old Testament story that they wandered in the wilderness because of their own disobedience. But even though they had failed, God was faithful and he never left them. This was during the fall harvest. And so what they would do is they would come together and in this celebration, they were to build tents, little lean-to tents, and spend a week living like their ancestors did in the wilderness with a little bitty tent and they were supposed to spend a week kind of suffering and living you know, on the land, but at the same time giving thanks because God never left them, okay? So they had these three parties, and the Old Testament book of Leviticus, God throws the parties for the people. They come, they have this week-long celebration, but and all of them, if you follow them, their sight lines lead us to Jesus and the story of the gospel. But the first two especially, because what we see in the New Testament is that here comes Jesus into the world, the Son of God who, who loves us and gave himself up for us, right? And he is our Passover lamb. He is the perfect spotless lamb who was sacrificed in our place where we deserve death. He died on the cross and he shed his blood as the perfect Passover lamb. But he didn't stay there. He rose again. And what we're told in the New Testament is that Jesus is the first fruits of God's people. The first fruits of those that sleep. The first fruits of the resurrected. He's the first fruits. Do you see it? Festival of first fruits. Jesus dies and rises again. He is the first fruits beginning of God's best, offering his best. But then 50 days later, here comes Pentecost. And Pentecost is the remembrance of the law and the covenant and the relationship. And, and what happens immediately as we start wrestling with this is we know that there is a massive problem as God gives the law. It's the problem that every one of us in this room, and this is why Pentecost is so important. It's what we need. Because our greatest need is to know God, is to have his presence in our lives. But our greatest problem is the fact that as God gives us his law, I neither can nor at the end really want to obey what God has told me. I am unwilling and unable to keep the commands of God and now I've got a big problem because the relationship with God is broken. The relationship that he formed with Israel keeps getting broken over and over again in the Old Testament. What is the solution? And stick with me. I know you're like, man, you're taking me on this weird journey. What do I do with this? Stick with me because this is so important. In the Old Testament, the problem of their sin is found in the idea, big idea, stick, get, like, get this, is found in the idea of convergent spaces. What they need most is not to pull themselves up by the bootstrap and do better they need a place where God will meet them in their brokenness and where somehow God will peel back the veil between heaven and earth and come to his people anyway. And this is what happens all throughout. These convergent spaces are all over in the Old Testament. 
We see a convergent space in the burning bush story with Moses and, and with God as God peels back the veil between heaven and earth and comes to Moses and comes in front of him. We see a convergent space at Mount Sinai as Moses goes up to the mountain and there is fire and wind on the mountain. And God, Moses meets God there, gives them the law. He comes down and, and gives the people the law and then goes back up and they break the law immediately with this crazy golden calf story where they break all 10 commandments in one night. Like, that's me, okay? And the convergent space doesn't go, forget them, I'm out, they're ridiculous. He remains there. The presence of Almighty God does not bail on them because of their failure. That presence shows up when they build this tent called a tabernacle. And this inner place, this inner place is a place where his presence goes. But the tabernacle has to have walls because they are sinful people. And if the presence of God gets out of the building... It'll destroy him. But he doesn't leave convergent spaces. Heaven has pulled back the veil and he is with his people. He doesn't leave them, but his presence is unbelievably dangerous to them that sinful people who walk into the presence of a holy God, it it will be the end of them. We see several other stories. The temple eventually in Jerusalem. This leads to the fact that the whole Old Testament story and the mission of God's people in the Old Testament is come to Jerusalem. Come to Jerusalem. It's not just an invitation to a weird city with this bizarre building in the middle of town. The mission is the people from all over the world that come to this city. God is here. He is present. There is a convergent space where God will never leave his people in this building and in this city. The convergent space shows up sometimes in individuals as the spirit of God falls on specific people, prophets who speak, priests who lead, and even kings who rule. But it's just random people here or there. And then we see the, the, that convergent space when some of these people disobey God, leaving. The presence of the Lord leaves Saul. And, and, and the whole picture is here I am as a sinful, broken person. What's my solution when I have violated the law of God? There's an invitation every year to come back at Pentecost to the temple where God has not left me. He is not done with me. I celebrate his goodness in my life anyway. And I remember that he has made me his people. That's, that's the Old Testament story. I've failed in the last year, but he's still... We are still his people, and we have a party to remember that. Passover, another party to remember that, that the sacrifice of God is what covers our sin, his provision in the fall, these festivals. And so here we come. Well, but, but it's this convergent space that's in the temple that then creates this movement. And the whole Old Testament mission is y'all come here. Y'all come here. Just, just come to this space, okay? And what happens on Pentecost is amazing because here is Luke saying when the day of Pentecost is fully come, well, the ultimate convergent space in the Bible is where, church? Now, I'll give you a little hint. This is one of those, these places where the answer you learned in Sunday school to all the questions is right. Where's the ultimate place where God and man meet in one place? In Jesus Christ. 
He is the ultimate convergent space. Every other convergent space before him is just pointing us to Jesus, who is fully God, fully man. He is the ultimate convergent space. And he, he becomes a Passover lamb. He dies and he rises again. But watch what happens. 50 days later, they are back in town. And in this drawing mission to the city of Jerusalem, people from all over. And what happens? The day of Pentecost fully comes. It is fulfilled. Why? Because now the presence of the Almighty, the presence of God that was on the mountain with Moses, that was in the temple, has actually left the temple, but was in the person of Jesus. That presence of God fills the room and the convergent space is no longer a place it's a people and it tells us the text tells us that it came to each of them every believer you follower of Jesus guess what you are in the world now you are a convergent space where the God of heaven has pulled back the the veil stepped into your life has cleansed you of your sin and has taken up residence in power in your life that's what happened on Pentecost that's why we don't need to like it's cool to celebrate it on the calendar it's not a bad thing to celebrate but what we celebrate now is not this Old Testament story where God was in spaces that were defined by walls. We are now the people of God. The convergent spaces come to us, and, and he has filled us. This is why Jesus looks up and says, listen, Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That power is what we need, what we all need in this room. Every single one of us, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, what you need is the presence and a relationship to be known by Almighty God. And because of the cross of Christ, the veil has been opened for each and every one of us to have the presence that was promised in our lives. Yes, I know there are times where as a follower of Jesus, it feels dry. It feels different, distant. And so we need that presence to refill us, but he will never leave us. And, and so... Being filled with the Spirit here in the story is not us conjuring up some experience. It is initially trusting Jesus and beyond that, every day of our lives coming to him and knowing that his presence is all we need. It is what we need and, and longing and hoping for that more than anything. And knowing that, that this God has made himself available to us. In this passage, the gift of the Spirit means that the convergent space where God meets man is in us. And when we gather collectively, it is in us. We see this both in New Testament where, where the Bible tells us that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, individual believer, and you collectively, the church of Jesus Christ, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He is in me, but when I come together with you and we're in this room together, the convergent space, it is no longer a building somewhere. It is the people of God who are gathered individually. We are the temple, and together we corporately are the presence of God, the convergent space. It's why, come, like, it's why coming to church is so important. I, I'm glad we're live streaming, and those of you who are on vacation or out of town or who still are wrestling with some of the COVID issues, I, I do understand. But you cannot be the temple of the Holy Spirit sitting in your living room in, in your pajamas like you can when you're gathered with the people of God in His, his church. It just can't happen. We become the convergent space, but watch this. 
people in our community need this more than anything too. They don't know it. They, don't, they, they wouldn't agree with you. They would disagree and, and say, no, I don't need that. What I need is this or that, or I need help, or I need more money. But what, what the people in our lives need more than anything, it's why we're doing Who's Your One. What they need more than anything is the presence of God in their lives, and the way we get there is through trusting in Jesus. And so this is what we need. We need the presence of the Almighty. It is promised, and then it came on Pentecost. Pentecost was fully, fully fulfilled on this day. And, and notice the second part of this, that Jesus is the first fruits. So what happens? Here comes the harvest. The rest of the book of the Acts is the, is the harvest because the first fruits has come. Don't miss that imagery. And, and, and so Pentecost is fulfilled. The Spirit came. Well, how do we get this? How do we get this? And how do we experience on an ongoing basis? Well, first of all, we get this by repenting and trusting in Jesus the first time. When we come to faith in Jesus, you are baptized. This, like, if you truly turn from yourself and trust in Jesus, the promise of God is that he will come near. He will be with you. He will be in you. The Spirit of God will fill your life. He will empower you to be the person you can't be. He will take your struggles, your brokenness, your sinfulness, your doubts, your, your shame. He will take your, your, your walking through any life situation that you feel like you can't overcome and handle, and he will be in you what you cannot be on your own. Trust in Jesus. Run to him. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ today, let's have a conversation about that. Let's lead you to what it looks like to believe in Jesus. And Peter, later in this sermon, we're going to look at this next week, looks at every, this massive crowd, and he says, this promise, the promise of the Holy Spirit is for everyone. It is for you. It is for your children. It is for your children's children. It's for those who are close, for those who are far off. It is for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. It's for everybody. And, and, and we experience it just by repenting and trusting in Jesus. But that initial experience, we need to keep seeking the filling. And so we get it by being filled with the Spirit. We get it by being filled with the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. Paul the Apostle is writing. He says, do not get drunk with wine. For that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here's what Paul says. He says, go, you need to be continually, the, the tense in the original language is ongoing. You need to be being, always being filled with the Spirit. Right now, you need to be filled with the Spirit. Now, this is a weird command. Because what you have is an imperative, a command, to have something done to you by somebody else. It would be like me saying, I command you, go have somebody give you $100. That's the rule today. Go have somebody give you $100. You're like, all right, that's cute. How's that going to happen? You know, am I going to hold somebody up? Nope, can't do that. Go have somebody give you $100. It's, it's a command to have something, somebody else do something to you. And this is what Paul says. I command you, be filled with the Spirit. Have the Spirit fill you. Well, that's somebody else doing something to me, not me doing it myself. How do I go about doing this? And I think the image that we can find here is the image of a ship. Imagine a ship like a good old Johnny Depp pirate ship, right? And it's sitting in a, a bay, and it needs to go out to ocean. And, and to get out to the ocean, it needs a good wind. Now, now the ship itself cannot 
cause the wind to blow. I, I don't get in the ship and go, blow wind. Because you and I know we are helpless to force the wind to blow. That's not something we can do. But what those sailors have to do is they have to take their place at their helms and they have to set their sails. They need to have their sails up and ready and they need to be in their position so that they are prepared when the wind does blow. This is us. How does, like, what does that look like? It looks like us with our lives going, man, I can't, like, I can't conjure up the Spirit. We don't force the Spirit to do anything. He is God. He is not the force of Star Wars, where if I just say the right words and do the right things, he will automatically do exactly what I want. We can't not look at the Spirit and go, I command you to, to heal. I command you to speak. That's insane. There are churches out there where they're commanding the Spirit to do something. Do you understand how nuts that is? But what we can do is live our lives in ever readiness for this. And so we see this. What happens in chapter 1 where Jesus told them to wait gives us some clues. We find them praying together. They're all together praying. And, and this isn't like a real quick, Father, bless us. All right, well, that's good. Let's move. There is this deep gathering that actually happens for 10 days. This desperate prayer. They are gathered the coming together is part of what happens in the text and is repeated throughout the story. They are obedient to what Jesus told them to do. They go and wait. Rather than just getting out and doing what they think they ought to do, they are obedient. And there is a dependence on Jesus here, a helpless dependence on Jesus that makes them available. And all these things, they have set their sails. So that when the day of Pentecost came, those sails got filled. That's us. Dependence on Christ, coming together, deep prayers, God's people, listening to his voice, living in obedience, walking daily with him. This is us sending up our sails. It is the Spirit who fills us. But we, like, what it means to be always filled with the Spirit is that we are always living our lives in repentance and faith, running back to Jesus and preparing our hearts to let him do whatever he chooses to do in us, knowing that it will be for our joy and for his glory. And every week we come back together and this is what we want to see. God, fill us with your spirit. We are ready. We, we are turning from ourselves and trusting in you. And let's come to, to every week ready for this. This is how we get it. This is how we, we are living lives being filled continually with the spirit. We have a second and third and fourth. And we're going to see this in Acts. An over and over again experience of the power of the spirit who fills us with joy, who gives glory to God, and who sends us. And so we have uh, what we need. We need the presence of God in our lives. How we get it. That we get it by trusting in Jesus and being converted to Christ. Saved, being saved, being rescued. And by this ongoing walk of faith, repentance, prayer with God's people, preparing ourselves for the beauty of his presence in our lives. So where does it take us? And the story is just beautiful. Verses 5 to 13. Check it out. Okay, check this out. Verses 5 to 13 with me. 
Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men in every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? He then lists the places where they come from uh, and, and, and the different places on the map. And so what happens is the city is filled with these Jewish people who've come from all over the world, and now they are receiving, uh, they, they hear the sound of the wind, now they're hearing the, the, um, the gospel being proclaimed in their own language, and they've come from everywhere in the ancient world. Now Luke says here a phrase that if you just read it straightforward, you think, every nation? They're not from every nation. There's no Chinese people here. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about every nation of what is called the diaspora, every nation where Jewish people had scattered. By this time, Jewish people had scattered all over the world, and now they come back. In fact, if you look at it in a map, do we have a map here? So see Jerusalem in the middle? Here's the places they came from. They came from the north, the south, the east, and the west. There are all kinds of prophecies about a day, a moment where the scattered peoples of God from the would be brought by the north wind and the south wind and the east wind and the west wind and would be brought back to the city of Jerusalem. Now you see the gathering motion that comes here. They're, this Old Testament mission of bring them to this convergent space, but now the convergent space is not in the temple, it's in the people. And they go out and what happens is they start proclaiming the glorious works of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ by speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit has empowered them to do this. It is this weird moment where, yes, they are having an ecstatic language that is not their own. It even points out that they were Galileans, okay? I mean, you know, this is where Jeff Foxworthy would literally be telling, you might be a Galilean if, like, it's, that's, that's the Bible's way of saying this is a bunch of rednecks, okay? They're not, these are not educated people who've learned these languages, but they are speaking the gospel, the good from all these different languages, and we're hearing the gospel in our language. Now watch this. This is why this is so important here. This is so important in the story. Before the gospel is spoken in Hebrew or Aramaic, it is heard in the cultural languages of the world because the promise is for everybody. It's not just for one select nation, one select people. And now these apostles are spun into the streets. They are, uh, they are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Like we said, 1 Timothy 3.16 tells us, do you not know that you're God's temple? That the, the convergent space is them. They are empowered to proclaim the gospel. And now we have this amazing miracle of them speaking of people hearing the gospel in their own language and they are responding. And this happens to a bunch of rednecks who lived there in, in Galilee, who were from Galilee, and they hear the message of God. And they literally in verse 12, we hear them telling in our own languages the mighty works of God. There's an amazing thing. But what happens, this is where it sends us, what happens when they are filled with the, the, the Spirit and experience that filling propels them into the city, a mission. This is so important. I grew up Baptist. I told you this last week where, man, if you did anything weird in service, we freaked out. Anybody ever shows up with a tambourine or starts raising their hands, that's weird. 
But we see these kind of experiences in the scripture. And so I, I was drawn for a while to really charismatic churches and find, found some joy and beauty, beauty in the expression of those. But often what I found in those experiences is that they lived for the experience. What it meant to be filled with the Spirit is to have a certain gift at a certain time in a certain service where everybody kind of went crazy and there was a lot of dancing and carrying on, a lot of fun, and it was beautiful, and I found a lot of joy in that. But I didn't see a lot of life change in those situations, and I definitely didn't see this. What's going on here is that that propels into the city on a mission. And, and, and what we see in the scriptures, though, is that the joyful experience of being filled with the Spirit is always connected to their mission and witness. This is what happens. Every time somebody's filled with the Spirit, here, here they're speaking in tongues. In Acts chapter 4, the beginning, Peter is preaching, and it tells us that he's preaching before the Sanhedrin, and he preaches his sermon filled with the Holy Spirit. Later in Acts chapter 4, they are praying, and they're crying out to God to do a mighty work in their city, and it tells us that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak the Word of God with boldness. I was told in that tradition that the proof of being filled with the Spirit was this certain gift of tongues. And there's some interesting things that I'm not going to deal with it today. We'll come back and ask to that question. But, but what we see is the true evidence of being filled with the Spirit is the fact that there is then this heart desire to see my neighbor transformed with the gospel and the power to go live out the beautiful mission of God in my city. The, 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 the presence of God, the glory of God in my life has a new mission. The mission for the church on the day of Pentecost went from a come and see to go and tell mission. God did not fill a space. He filled a people. He put an engine on their back and he sent them into the city. Now they're proclaiming the gospel to these people. Guess where these people are going to go? They're going to go home. They're going to start telling their neighbors and friends. It is no longer a come to Jerusalem and find God mission. It's a go to the nations and tell them mission. That change is here, and it is for us. We need the power of the Holy Spirit, but what Jesus said is you will receive power, and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. Man, the, the, the world's a hot mess. Would you agree with that? Everywhere we turn. It feels worse. And, you know, there's one part of me that says every generation feels that. <laughs> when my dad was in his 20s and he was looking at the world, he's like, the world's coming to an end. Jesus is coming any day. It's all bad. The generation before him. But there is a sense in which there are so many things going on in our culture and world right now that just feel so dark. And we feel so helpless. And what is God's solution to that? It's a spirit-filled people who are now the convergent space between heaven and earth living in their city and caring for the nations. That's what it is. Friend, follower of Jesus, you and I, not the government, not some political solution, not some corporation out there who's trying to do good. You and I are God's solution to the brokenness in the world. Sadly, we, rather than being a gospel, spirit-filled people, we often have added to the brokenness by being just as angry, just as divisive, just as sucked into the problems as the rest of the world. We need a, 
like what God is doing is a spirit-filled people sent into the world and making a difference in that world. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Some of you heard me tell this story, so if you've heard it before, just bear with me. But a few years ago, we went on a, uh, a float trip with a group of teenagers to uh, it, was a, it was a clean streams float trip. So the whole idea was that we were supposed to, uh, as we were going through on this float trip, we were going to clean up all the trash. And I actually gave, you know, these canoes of teenagers. So we had like 20 canoes with teenagers on this river, several adults, and we gave them, he said, whoever fills their canoe with the most stuff, most trash, we will give you a prize. Well, one of the things that we started finding as we were going down the river is we started finding that this section of river, somebody had dumped a whole bunch of these giant blue 55-gallon barrels. Or, you know, or metal ones. I mean, they were just everywhere all through the river. And teenagers were like, I've put this in my canoe. It will be awesome. So they would try to get in. They would try to get the, the, the barrel out. Now, some of the barrels that we saw in the river were kind of on the edge. They were sitting upright like this. They would often have some water down on the inside. When the river raised, it might have filled it, but they had water, but also had all kinds of sediment and stuff in the bottom, a whole bunch of gravel and other stuff at the bottom of that barrel. Other barrels actually had turned sideways and would be sucked into the current, and often we'd see them on the bottom of the river, right? Bottom of the river, there's this barrel. It's sideways. The force of the current normally had busted out the bottom. And so sitting on the bottom and, and the current is running right through it. And the barrel itself is functionally empty, right? And here's what happened. As we were trying to get those out, one of those types of barrels, we could get out fairly easily. The other, we couldn't get out at all. Or if we got it out, it would take a whole bunch of people to move it and pull it out of the river. So you had the one type of barrel that's just sitting almost half empty with just a bunch of stuff in the bottom, but it was filled with a lot of sand and gravel and stuff. The other were empty sitting on the bottom. Anybody want to guess which ones were easy and which ones were hard? Believe it or not, the ones that were really easy to get out were the ones that were filled with junk, but were sitting upright. You just, two people get underneath them, you could dump the junk, throw it in the canoe. Problem solved. These empty barrels that had literally rolled into the deeper current where the current itself was flowing through it. So the only thing you had in it was water. And they had nestled on the bottom with the current flowing through it. Those were almost impossible to move. And here's what I believe the Spirit of the Lord told me on that day. That's what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is not me sitting on the side of this river trying to pull a little bit of water and throw it in and going, God, just pour yourself into me with the sediment of my life and the brokenness of my life being at the bottom, but just pouring a bunch of extra stuff in on top. That will be moved easily. It is when I move myself out into the current of the beauty of the glory of God and his mission and fully give myself to him that I will truly be filled with the Spirit. That's what happens in Acts. It's what we need today. It's what our city needs from us. And so today we celebrate Jesus and we cry for the filling of the Spirit. Our bands are going to come. We're going to sing and celebrate Jesus and trust in Him. We're going to hope in Him. But even where you're at, as we sing and, and, and celebrate, remember the greatness of Jesus and what He did for us. And cry out to God to fill you as a follower of Jesus, to fill us as His people to move mightily in our city. 
And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I just want to challenge you, let's have a conversation about what that looks like. Trust in Jesus. He's here for you. Now, close with this. We're doing our series of To Be Continued. Everybody thinks they're drunk. Are they? Did they actually hit the bottle a little bit early that morning, and now they're having this weird experience? And if they're not, what does that mean? What's going on with this crowd, and does anything happen with them? Aren't these the same cowards 50 days ago who denied Jesus? And how can 120 people in a crowd of thousands and thousands make a difference? Well, guess what? Same Acts time, same Acts channel next week as we look at what happened as a result of this next week. But today we pray and we celebrate and cry out to Jesus to fill us. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Help us today, Lord. Help us know what your spirit says to us and help us, Lord, fill us with your spirit even this moment. Take our lives that are filled with the crud and brokenness of our sin and shame and replace it with the glory of your presence. In your name I pray, amen.